good morning. Continue our study in the church. Before we get there, it's almost like you sing that song at the end. It's like we probably need to have an altar call for all the lying we just did. You see it? You alone are my heart's desire. Above anything else, is it Jesus? Sweet mercy, Lord help us. I long to worship you. Is that your heart's desire? So today, if it is, praise God. And if you woke up and that's the pass around, praise the Lord and keep it going. But man, just a good reminder, when we're singing these songs, we want them also. That's right. When we're singing, what are we doing? We're teaching one another. We're instructing one another. And the way we go, so Lord, help us use these words to impact our lives. But thank you for our music team singing that and leading that. We've been going through our study on the church. Christ founded the church. You know what else he did? You got this memorized yet? He founded it. He died for it. He identifies with it. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. And he uses the church to display his manifold wisdom and glory and guarantees its victory. That's the church. Praise the Lord for it. The church is of immense importance to Jesus. So before we get into our study today, so we're going to do one more. So for those who have been holding on, you're like, this organizational stuff is driving me batty. Okay? I'm going nuts. Give me one more week. <laughs> but give me one more week and then we'll get into some different areas where we can be the church we can be the church by doing things and how we're supposed to be living but till then we got one more and so we'll see we need to go back in time so look at this first slide here you, you're going to have some clip art that I hate I hate clip art but we're going to use it and this is not a great graphic this is um, this timeline is not to scale uh, so if we're figuring this out so first, Jesus died on the cross. Okay, amen. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. We, we following the clip right here. At Pentecost, Holy Spirit came down. This is the beginning of the church age when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven. The Holy Spirit is our guide, right? Jesus promised, he, did, he went to the heavens, but he promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but he's also sending this comforter. And what is the comforter going to do? He's going to help the church and its people get to the finish line when what's going to happen? Jesus will return. We believe he will return. Right? That's why we take communion. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He will return for his own. There's also in this next little, th there's, there's a gift that he's given the church besides the Holy Spirit. There's a gift given. What is that gift? We read about it today in our scripture reading, and we'll get back to that in a second. But here's this idea of trying, we're trying to get to the finish line, the church. We are part of that, but for the last 2,000 years, the church has been trying to get to the finish line. We're, we Be faithful until he returns. When the Lord comes back, will he find any faithful? Well, the faithful, how will they get there? The Holy Spirit's working in them, Christ's promises are still true, he's still with them, and this gift that's going to help them get to that line either until they meet the Savior when they die or until he returns and takes them back. So there's this gift. We're going to hit this in a few minutes. We'll get to the gift. We'll come back to that. But first, we need to examine one more thing. Last week, we spent an entire message examining the keys of the kingdom. Who has them? We saw in Matthew 16, 18, 1 Corinthians 5. The keys of the kingdom were given to the church. The church is to guard the what? The right confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there are two guard and oversee the right confessors, those that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We are 
a congregational church, meaning what you do, what you do matters. Like, well, aren't you part of our church? Yes. I'm a member just like you. What we do as a congregation matters. Paul talks about this in the body. Like, well, I don't feel like I'm that big of a part. I'm just a, a pinky. Come on up, friend, afterwards, and we'll yank it off and tell me if you recognize the impact it has on your body. Each one of us plays a part. Each one of us plays a part. You can have an impact in the congregation. Um, so we are a congregational church. So what on earth are pastors and deacons? The church holds the keys. What are we bozos doing? What's our goal? So we're going to look at this, pastor. So let me, let me clarify before we get into this. I don't like speaking about this. I'd rather have someone else do it. Uh, because like you feel like, why well, are you just buttering your own bread because you're a pastor and you want to keep your job? No, we're just walking through a church series. Hopefully, everything we're talking about, you'll see clearly in the Word of God. Right? What is our guide for faith in practice? Right here. If it's not here, we have questions. If it is here, we shouldn't have questions. So, pastors first. We'll see our next slide. Pastors guide, care, and equip. This is not all they do, but I think you can fit what pastors do into these three terms. If you disagree with me, give me a high five on the way out. Pastors guide, care, and equip. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, elders, not elder, elders, plural, among you, as a fellow elder. This is key. Because there's a church, a Catholic church, that believes that Peter is the first pope, and he's over everybody, but what does Peter say of himself? No. I am a fellow elder just like you. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the commands. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, I want you to recognize here there are three different people or groups that have authority in this passage. Do you see them? They're all underlined for you. I'm trying to make it very easy. There's the elders. There's the flock of God. Right? So elders, again, plural. There's a flock of God. How do we know? Is this, is this the universal church or is this a local church? What does it say? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Local. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's your local church. I don't need to shepherd the flock of God that's in Georgia. I shepherd the flock of God that's here, that's among us. And then there is the final authority, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Christ is our head. We answer to him. So you're like, well, where are pastors? And if you haven't been here for our study, the, the word elder, pastor, Bishop, so each of these are terms. So if you like, you hear the Presbyterian Church, that's elders, it's a Greek term, presbyter. The Episcopalian Church is from the bishop phrase, okay, overseer, episkopos, and then this Greek word, so Episcopalian. You're like, well, where do you get pastor from? Not from the Greek word. But when this is translated over to Latin, you'd have the word shepherd, and I would say, uh, my boys are going to correct me because they take Latin, but the Latin word for shepherd, you want to know what it is? Pastor. That's where we get these terms, pastor, elder, bishop. Okay, it's from just people reading through these terms, going, okay, that's where we get these things, this is what that means. All three of these terms are used in this text to speak of the same office. 
So you have here, and they're bolded. So verse 2, shepherd. That is our, that pastor term. You have the word elder, verse number 1. Then you also have oversight. That's the overseer, which is the verb form. All three of these offices are speaking of the same simultaneous office. Peter, an apostle, says, I'm an elder. There's no distinction. You say, well, I'm a bishop. No, I'm an elder. Elder, pastor, bishop are all the same. They're speaking three different functions of the same office. So Peter tells them again, elders, plural. They're to shepherd the flock while simultaneously recognizing you're not the chief shepherd. Does this make sense? I am to shepherd the flock of God. This isn't my flock. I'm to shepherd the flock of God, but, but I have somebody above me. There's somebody I answer to, and it is the chief shepherd. We are to guide, we are to care in the shepherding manner. The word oversight, again, look diligently, carefully inspect, to care for. We're to care for the flock of God. Verse 4, it says that those that do this well, that care and, and guide the flock of God like this, will receive, in verse 4, this crown, this unfading crown of glory. We are also to equip. So look at our next slide here. Ephesians 4, going back to our scripture reading, we'll be here one more time. Ephesians 4. 11 through 13. So we pastors are to care, they're to guide, and also to equip. Verse 11. And he gave, let's pause. Who's he? Don't take my word for it. So if you have your Bible open, it's Ephesians. Look at Ephesians verse number 7. Ephesians 4, verse 7. Who is the he? Because, again, you are students of the word. So you're making sure what I'm saying is what the text says. Ephesians 4, Verse number seven, who's the he? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ is the giver. And what does Christ give? Grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ gives these graces, these gifts, to the church. In verse eight, it says he gives these gifts to mankind. And contextually, verse nine and 10 are going to be a side note, a sidebar. That's why a lot of your translations will have these in parentheses. You need to go from verse eight straight down to verse number 11 and he gave keeping up this idea of christ giving gifts we're picking up this in context and he gave what did he give the apostles the prophets evangelists shepherds there's our word there pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure and stature of the fullness of christ Christ died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended on high, and he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And in still, in, in, in a, actually, on top of that, I'm not just going to promise to be with you forever. I will send you a comforter who will take you to the finish line. On top of that, let's just keep topping that. I'm going to give you a grace to, to help direct you in that way. Besides God himself, he's going to put people here on earth to help guide and direct in the way that we go. What, what are these people's names? We're going to have all these different offices and functions that have gone through from the start of the church. Right? We're built upon the, these foundations of the apostles and prophets before us, but who's our cornerstone? Christ. And on top of this, as we keep building up, he's going to use these people to get us to the finish line. And that's what these offices are. This is a gift of Christ. 
Many of you know what it means to have a gift of Christ from the pastor that you had pour into your life or the pastor that you heard when you were growing up, the pastor that was preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you when you were young or maybe when you were a teen or maybe when you were an adult and the first time you heard it and you're like, that's what I need. That is a gift from the Lord. Some that proclaim to you the truths of his word. Often you read the Old Testament and you hear the despair in the silence of not being able to hear from the prophets. We need a voice. We need to hear from the Lord. So besides his word, we have his spirit and we have people that he's put in place to help get us to the end line. Again, that last phrase, shepherd, teacher, or pastor, teacher, a lot of times you'll see in some translations they may even put a hyphen to recognize this is the same office. This is the word shepherd or pastor. Pastors have the responsibility, though, out of this verse to do what? To equip. To equip. This is used back in the Gospels when they, they were mending their nets. It's to strengthen this resolve, but also if something's wrong, you put right. So they are to equip. We'll come back to then, well, what's the congregation's response to that? If they're equipped, what should the congregation be doing? We'll get to that in a few seconds. But you see the responsibility for the pastors here, equip. Pastors guide, pastors care, pastors equip. Next, we'll see the congregation's response to the pastors. How should you respond to pastors besides with rotten tomatoes, right? How, how what's the best way to handle this? First, we see respect and esteem. Again, I'm going to walk through these quickly, read these verses, and don't feel comfortable saying these things. You're like, well, you're a pastor. I understand this. But walking through how our church should be working, we want it to go according to the word of God. First, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, they need to respect and esteem. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. The congregation is to have the final say, the keys to the kingdom, but they're also to respect and esteem those that God has placed over them as their shepherd. Next, we'll see in Hebrews 13, 17. We're going to crank through these. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey and submit. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who would give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There, there aren't too many people on planet Earth that when you give them these two words, obey and submit, they don't cringe. Right? Let's be honest. The, the incoming freshmen to VMI in August... They're going to learn what these two words mean post-haste, right? When you enter boot camp, I have my rights that you go for it. Yeah. Let me know how those push-ups are. Right? That goes by the wayside. Obey and submit. What your drill instructor, what your CO tells you, that's the rule. That's the law. Because they're trying to think of the betterment of the whole. And guess what? Your CO has a CO. Your commanding officer has somebody above him. And they got an answer to that. There's also this idea of coaching. Coaches mandate that their players buy in, or some do. You can tell when the wheels fall off the wagon for some teams. Nick Saban pulls no punches at Alabama. You buy in, he'll take a hike. Bill Belichick. Greg Popovich, you're not just great at drawing up plays. You had to buy into their system. Or 
There's the door. You know, Kawhi Leonard, as great as he was, take off. If you can't play with us, get out. You buy into this program. Parents, what do you want for your children? Obey and submit. You want them right? Is it because you're always right? No. But you're trying to think long-term for their future. What's best for them as time comes on? And we'll talk about this in maybe in the coming weeks, but mom and dad, where do you, where do you want your kiddos to be at, 50, at 25? Not at 15, at 25. You want them to be what? Great at t-ball? You want them to be great at soccer? To have no college debt? Is that the height for you? They're academic all achievers, 4.0, that they have a great job. Is that the top for you when they're 25? You're like, man, those are nice. What if they're an awful husband? An unfaithful wife? Terrible father, mother? Have you trained them like you have for baseball? Or for academia? Do you coach them like you have for basketball? Like you have for parenting? Have you prepared them like you have for the SATs? You better get to sleep by 8 Friday night because your SATs are Saturday morning. But Saturday night, you can stay up till 3 watching Netflix. We go to church tomorrow. You train your kids. Buy in. Because... These are the essentials I want you to know that are going to make you a successful adult. And it's not sports. And I love sports. It's not academia. I don't like academia. My wife does. She should be the one getting papers and degrees. <laughs> right? It's, it's not that. How would they be a functioning, God-fearing adult when they're 25? How do you get them to that stage? You can't make them. What hurdles can you remove to get out of their path? This idea of you want them to obey and submit. You want them to follow you because you're like, listen, I know you don't see it now because you're 13. And believe it or not, you don't know everything. 16-year-olds are just geniuses. They're 18s, right? They have the world's problems solved. It's like a renewable energy. It's like, man, it's just coming out of you. You, you can't drive the car. You're an awful driver, right? It's like, we, you haven't figured this out. You can't even pay your insurance. So listen, teens, listen to your parents, not because they're right, because God has placed them over you to shepherd your heart. So I want to be careful in saying this, because speaking of kids and being a former youth pastor, um, it can be a hardship then. So some of you that have taught in a classroom or maybe you worked with teenagers and somebody goes, hey, have you ever seen so-and-so? Or how is your child doing? Or how is that former teen doing? And you know, and your heart all of a sudden breaks. Because you know where they're at. And you know what they're doing. And you know it's not good. If you can understand that heartache, then you understand the end of this verse. Let them do this with joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I have to give an account. Pastor Ethan and I have to give an account the souls of the people here. How is the soul of so-and-so doing? I sat down with them. I, I talked to them. I'm trying. 
they won't turn back. You understand that heart aches. Friend, if we ever have, you have a, a brother or sister in Christ or a deacon or pastor sit down with you and try to cor- bring you back to the right tracks because they care for your soul. Personally, as one that will give an account to my CO, to my chief shepherd, did you shepherd his heart well? Did you shepherd her heart well? Did you just let them continue to run amok in sin or, or did you step in the gate, step in the path? Stop, stop, stop it. Turn around. Ethan and I, Lord willing, will lay, and the lay elders that hopefully Lord willing will soon appoint will have to give an account. And you understand that if you ever train, if you ever train somebody to do your job and they don't do it well, and who does your boss come find? You. Did you, what did you teach them? And you got to go back and figure out, what on earth did you do? I told you, this this is what you do. And if they keep doing it wrong, what's the boss esteem of you? It's like going like, are you doing this right? But that heat sense, that's where looking into a mirror, and just being honest, as a pastor, it's a fearful thing. To not have to give an account for more than just one soul, more than just the five in our home, but the 200 plus that come here every Sunday. God, help me. But church, help me too. Help stay on track. Get back on to where you need to be. There to obey and submit, and lastly, there to honor. First Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Back in our study in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9, quoted a commentary from Craig Bromberg, NI, uh, 1 Corinthians NIVAC. He said, the church does not pay its ministers, right? It's not salary. It provides them with resources so that they can freely serve. So after that verse, you're going to hear, don't muzzle, out, don't muzzle the ox as it's treading the grain. So we want to give Pastor Ethan not a salary. We want to give him resources that he needs so he's not burdened by the financial aspect of his life. We don't want his, you want him to be able to work to a place where his wife does not have to work. He can do the task the church has laid before him. If his wife wants to work, she can work. My wife does. Okay, some of our ladies, just, I need you to breathe. That's not an attack. But we want to give him the resources that he needs, not salary, resources that he needs so that his wife is not burdened. He does not feel that burden. I have to do more. My time has to be taken away from the church. That's what we're trying to do. And this idea of this double honor, uh, what does that mean? Uh, one author said, elders who serve with greater commitment, excellence, and effort should have greater acknowledgement from the congregation. Typically, this is with those that are teaching and preaching on a regular basis. So these three help us understand the congregation has a responsibility to the pastors. You have Christ as the chief shepherd, the congregation with the keys, and the pastors and elders with their hands on the steering wheel guiding the congregation. So what does this look like? I'm going to give you three examples that are examples these are not perfect metaphors. There's things I should talking shop with Ethan and Joel. Does this make sense to you? I don't know. It makes sense to me. So like a stockholder, you are the owners. But there is a board. So you own, but there's somebody else that guides. Like, like an employee, you work. Right? You're the worker, and then the pastors are more like the managers, the trainers. 
like a student, you learn. Right? You're learning, but then we're also the professors that are teaching. So the congregation learns, works, and has the final say. But the pastors teach, train, and guide in that process. So Stephen Wellen went, went on to add in one of the books that he wrote, said, the ultimate authority of Christ, the ultimate authority of Christ, this is for the church, the final earthly rule of the congregation, and the everyday leadership of the elders and pastors. This is what this looks like. Jesus is our authority. The final earthly say is the congregation, but the everyday leadership is that of the, of the elders or pastors. So before we move on, we need to see the congregation's response to each other, their responsibilities to new each other, which we'll be looking at for the next coming weeks. I think, again, that each of the ones we're going to see in the coming weeks can be coming, come back to these four we'll look at here. Congregation's response to each other. First, bear and restore. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore, such, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too are tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we saw last week the church is to protect the what, right, the right confession, and protect the who, those that are making the right confession, those that have accepted Jesus as your Savior. We also saw Galatians 1 was written to the assembly. What is the assembly to do? If anyone is caught in transgression, what should the assembly do? Those that are spiritual should go and restore. You can mend the nets. What's been broken, you can help set right. You are a part of that. You who are spiritual are supposed to be doing this. You're also to bear one another's burdens. If you're doing this, this fulfills the law of Christ. How do you bear the burdens of the brothers and sisters here if you don't know them? So Christian, look at me. If you come every now and then, you're transient, we'll show up once a month, twice a month, whatever it is. How do you obey this verse if you're not here, how can you restore somebody if you don't know what's going on in their life? How can you bear their burdens if you don't even know their name? The Christian life is not one billion mavericks going and doing their own thing. We work together. We work in harmony as one. Restore those that go off track because you love them, not because you're trying to judge them. We're trying to get to the finish line so we can see our Savior face to face. Bear one another's burdens. We're also to work and build. Going back to our passage here in Ephesians 4, work and build. Part of the accountability is seen in this text, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to do what? To equip the saints. Equipping the saints for what? What on earth might God give these offices, like apostles and pastors, what, what might he use them to do? To equip the saints. Why? What are the saints supposed to be doing? The work of the ministry and to build up the body. According to verse 13, this equipping is seen to be continual to help each believer grow to full maturity. That means that pastors are not supposed to be the ones to do all the work. There's a congregational responsibility. So, Lord willing, we are getting a Chick-fil-A here, right? Praise God, right? We can all say amen to that. Kill more chickens. So we're, they're going to have Chick-fil-A coming here, and there's the owner coming in. If the owner has all these employees, but he's taking your order, 
he's doing drive-thru, he's preparing the fries, and he's preparing the chicken, no one will shop there anymore. Why? You know, wait seven hours to get one meal. We have to have everybody in their proper role and their proper function working together. Have you ever been in a fast food restaurant that didn't work as seamlessly as Chick-fil-A? And they didn't say my pleasure afterwards? They didn't clean the table? They didn't bring me refills? You know there's a difference. Church, family, people know there's a difference when you refuse. Have you ever seen a worker that doesn't want to be there? When my boys and I joke, I'm now going to go out to eat, and you see somebody, it's like, they're so happy to serve you today. What do you want? Well, <laughs> God bless you. What a fantastic greeting. My pleasure for being here. I hope you don't spit on my sandwich <laughs> by the time it gets up here. You know, when we watch, everyone look at me. So teenagers, look at me. Teenagers, that's how some of you look when we're trying to sing. My mom and dad made me come here. Do you understand this is God Almighty? That you're supposed to be singing and worshiping to? Some of our dads look like sticks in the mud. I'm not going to sing. Do you understand what that says to God Almighty? The one you're here to praise? We're to work and build up each other with this joy. The joy of the Lord is to be your strength. Hopefully people feel more than just a welcoming spirit when they get here, and they get more than just my pleasure, but that it's sincere. We actually do love you. We actually do want you to be here. And we think it's actually good for your soul. You know how I know that? Because I come every week, and it's good for my soul. We need to do the work together. What's the old saying? It takes a village. We need everyone. We need everyone, all hands on deck. Will you do the work? Will you build up? Now, before I wrap up, I want us all to understand visually what this means. Let me quote again from Wellen one more time. The ultimate authority of Christ, right? He's our chief shepherd. The final earthly rule of the congregation and the everyday leadership of the elders, pastors. So Christ is our final authority. The church holds these keys, but then you delegate this aspect of a f to guide the church. You delegate that to your pastors. When you came here, when I came here, you voted me in. I didn't come in and oppose my way. I didn't say, you must take me young. You voted me in to be the pastor of your church. And a lot of times people say, hey, whatever the pastor wants to do, that's what we need to do, as long as it's in accordance with Scripture. And I found out that's not the case during the pandemic, right? There weren't too many people happy with what I, whatever I said about mask or not mask. I'm just trying to think of what's best for our church. But the goal is we're trying to guide and direct because we answer to the chief shepherd. And you've asked us to guide and direct. If you don't want me to guide and direct, fire me and get somebody that you will let guide and direct. And you actually have the authority to do that. So my job security is zero. Other than I firmly believe in the sovereignty of God. So try all you want. I will be here till Jesus wants me to leave. So there is a final authority. So who then who makes the decisions? 
about carpet and colors. And well, you know, our next chart here. So Christ is our chief shepherd. We answer to him and to his word. You see on the left side, if it's very clear according to his word, and that's very serious according to his word, as this goes up the scale, who should make the decision? We need to have the congregational say on this. So on areas like, let me give you some, discipline, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, disputes within the church, 1 Corinthians 6, 4, voting on deacons and pastors or elders, Acts 6, 3 through 8, communion, 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 26, setting apart people to serve, Acts 13, 1 through 3, sending people on mission to serve overseas or somewhere else, uh, Acts 11, 19 through 24. It's very clear in Scripture. That's why I gave you a reference every time. It's very serious that we follow His Word. Should we do communion? That's very clear, and it's very serious. Because there are people that are taking communion, 1 Corinthians 11, unlawfully, and death was ensuing. So we need to take this seriously. If you don't, you're, some of you are puzzled. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and read the end of it. As it gets towards this top, so this is, in my brain, this helps me help you understand. So if it doesn't just make things more confusing, I apologize. But as things go down, not clear, not serious. So think of something like communion. Very clear, we should do it. It can be very serious. Can we do communion at tables? Well, that's not clear. Can we do it all in pews, facing or chairs, facing the same way? Well, that's not how they did it at the Last Supper. Can we get all of us around one table? If we did, could you hear me? So it's not clear how we do this. So as we filter down, we're delegating some of this authority. We want to do everything for the Lord's glory, whether we're eating or drinking, right? That's very clear, very serious, because that's what the text says. If Joel wants to paint a room pink as our facilities director, it's, it's not clear. It's not serious. He should do it for the Lord's glory. Amen? But the color of it, we don't need to vote on. It's not clear. And it's not serious. And it should not be serious to you. If it is, you go back to the heart issue. Okay? <laughs> Trying to shepherd your heart and guard you. This, nope. Don't make a fuss over that. Let it go. So again, not an exhaustive idea, but it gives you an idea of of seeing as things go up and we see this clearly in scripture that there's a seriousness to this and there's a clarity in this the congregation we want your say we want your stamp on this one pastors can still guide in this aspect so imagine the church bought a bus okay they bought a bus they own the bus the church rides on the bus and they decide who gets who can get in and who they kick out they're on the bus they hire a driver for the bus the map the driver is to follow is the word of God. This is where I'm supposed, the heading is north here. All the while the church's hand are on the emergency brakes. Because if I take us off track, you yank it. And you kick me off the bus. And you find a driver that'll get you back on track. Like well, what on earth do the deacons do? We haven't heard about these birds the whole time. Deacons maintain the bus. Does this make sense to you? You're not going to see any descriptions in the Bible about buses or giving gas or kicking people off or drivers. I'm just trying, just trying to give you visual metaphors, trying to help you understand. I'm sure that falls apart in eight different ways, but it hopefully helps you understand. Okay, so what does all this mean for us today? First off, friend, at the beginning, 
Uh, the mention, at the beginning of the message, I mentioned that Jesus died on the cross. He did. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And he promises he will never leave us or forsake us. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever placed your trust in him? So here I encourage you to admit, to walk through our ABCs, admit that you and I, that we are sinners, we, we blow it all the time. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? He did what did he did do what we talked about. He did die, he did rise, he did ascend in high, and he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. Do you believe in him? Place your faith in him. Say, Lord, I want I confess my sin. I want to walk in this relationship with you. Save me. That's you can do that through calling. Whosoever calls in the name of the Lord, it says, will be saved. I encourage you to do that. If you have questions on how you can do that, see myself or a Christian friend that you came with. We'd love to walk you through that. Next, for all those claiming to be Christians, would you do what Danny did today? Would you pray for Ethan and I as pastors? Would you pray for any future elders or pastors that we have that here at the church that your pastors, your leaders would guide, care for, and equip you? Would help us to guide, care for, and equip. You can add to that that we are to look to ourselves, right? That we would watch our own souls to make sure we're not falling off track. Third, our... Are you fulfilling your scriptural obligations to the pastors here at the church? Are you fulfilling your obligations to the pastors here at the church? Recover, respect, esteem, obey, submit, honor. But do you believe that you are making a joy for Ethan and I to answer for your soul? Or are you adding heartache? That's hard to ask. Maybe it's hard to answer. But Christian, God wants your whole heart. He wants the whole enchilada. John Owen, in his work, The Mortification of Sin, said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Repeat that. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Give Christ your heart. By faith, would you pray today, Lord, help me, help me to be aggressive and attacking the sin that's in my life. Lord, help me to claim the victory today. We have 12 hours and 22 minutes. Jesus, get me to the finish line of today. Help me to be killing sin. To have victory in your name. Would you pray that by faith? Next, Christian, are you responding rightly to each other? Will you bear others' burdens? Like, well, yeah, I'll bear the burdens, but I don't even know what's going on in their life. you have responsibility. So if you always sit in the same place and you only know the 12 people that you greet every Sunday, it's going to be hard for you to bear those burdens. Do you bear their burdens? If you do this, what do you do? And so fulfill the law of Christ. You're going to love others more than you love yourself. You may have to show up a little earlier. You may have to stay today for potluck and for a Sunday lunch. You may be forced to eat Kenny's chicken to save a drumstick for me. Will you bear others' burdens? Will you help restore even if it's hard? I remember as a youth pastor, one of our teens uh, broke, his, broke his leg, and they were resetting it, and they had me in the hospital room. And to watch them 
reset the leg. And I, I was not seated, but they had the parents sit down because they were going to, they were like, oh, parents are going to pass out. I'm like, I'm fine. No problem with blood. And thus far, I haven't had a problem with blood. But watching the skin pull back, and then the kids sit up and scream, and I'm like, and, and the pastor looks at me, and I goes, I'm not, why am I feeling so good? And I start grabbing the wall, and I'm like holding the walls. I'm trying to get out, just trying to breathe air. Man, that was, it was not fun watching somebody reset a bone, but it was essential to the health of that teenager. Doctors and nurses stepped in. Those that were spiritual came in, and they helped reset. That's this idea. It's not fun. It's not painless but it's essential for the health of the body and for that person's soul. Will you be a part of restoring? Lastly, will you join me in praising Christ for being our chief shepherd? Praise the Lord. You don't answer to me when you stand in glory. At the same time, you may wish you did. Because I don't know the thoughts and intents of your heart. I don't know what's done in secret. We will stand before the Lord of glory, our chief shepherd. And he's going to ask, were you grazing in the right pastures? Were you feeding on still waters? We are allowing me to restore your souls. We allowing me to lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. When you went through the valley, did you know I was there? When I anointed your head with oil, did you realize I allowed your cup to overflow? Did you recognize my goodness and mercy tagging along your entire life? And we may fall on our knees and say, no, not like I should have, but thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our chief shepherd. May we follow him and his word. Let's bow forward a prayer. As we do, let's take 30 seconds and let's pray and let's quiet our own hearts. Friend, this is a time where we'll take time in our church every now and then just quiet our own hearts and pray to the Lord. And if you don't know him, I encourage you to do that. But Christian, think through these things. Are you fulfilling your obligations to others? Are you fulfilling the, obli fulfilling the obligations to our pastors here? Are you responding rightly to each other? Or perhaps maybe you just need to spend time thanking him for being our chief shepherd. Let's do that and then I will pray. Let's pray. Jesus, chief shepherd of the flock of God, thank you for leading and guiding and caring and restoring. 
Lord, we pray for those that are here that do not know you as the chief shepherd. They're not a part of your flock. We pray today would be the day of salvation for them. And for those of us here that maybe like last week or this week realize that they are mired in sin and sin is killing them. Lord, you help them today to have victory, to be killing sin. Would you help the brothers and sisters in Christ around them to speak in, to help mend the net, to restore the break. And help us to bear one another's burdens so we can fulfill your law. We thank you again for this place that we call the church. What a blessing it is to our hearts. May it be so in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.